The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Back to another episode of the Rotor Podcast. Josh Norris and John Daigle here. Daigle, show number two in this new studio. They didn't kick us out yet. It is, and I think we started off wrong. Correction, I started off wrong. Okay. I believe I was looking at that camera, not this one. Oh, so great start. You, you would think we're veterans at this, but I don't think so just yet. <laughs> uh, so today's episode, as the title suggests, we will have Nick Minzio with his notable start sits, and then Patrick Doherty with his rankings. This is yes. an episode... Well, kind of we're squishing together for week one, but then week two we'll separate it as well. Um, both columns are up on Roto World, so be sure to go. Loads of columns up on so Roto World, actually. Columns. <laughs> you, the people were concerned about content. Well, I got news. Nope. We have content. But every episode we are going to start with news, so let's start with news. And the biggest news, John Daigle, is that Ezekiel Elliott has signed a new contract. It's a six-year extension, which is important. Yes. $90 million includes a whopping $50 million guaranteed. It was important, it seemed like, for Ezekiel Elliott to be the highest paid running back in the NFL. He has that. $15 million annually surpasses Todd Gurley's, I believe it was like just over 14 as well. Yes, the guaranteed, as you said, $50 million, which Todd Gurley's was around 43.25. Yeah. Um, so now he's clearly the highest paid running back all time in the league. However, the thing here is, is that it's going to reset. So it's a bad move, logically, by the Cowboys, just is in general. It? Why? He's, I think he's the best player on that offense. Why is it a bad move? Well, okay, so here's the thing. It's not, it's bad because they paid a running back. It's just like, let's okay. dumb it down to the just very simple. form. in general, that's form. a general statement you I, I make? think so, honestly. Okay. When you pay, when you give that much to a running back. However, what happens here, it's not so much bad financially for the Cowboys. That's what people are yelling about right now. Because all they do with these contracts and deadline deals, especially if you know this franchise, Mm -hmm. they just pay up front and then push people out the door slowly. So while Zeke, then Dak, then Amari get their deals, that's slowly pushing out Travis Frederick and Zach Martin and... and, Right guard, slipping my mind, slipping my mind well, right now. The right guard position is a lot of other people, like Connor Williams is there, Connor McGovern. So, so it's a so bet actually on those guys, okay. which is not a good bet if you've watched because them play. Because you can't pay so everyone, right? But Dallas has done a lot of business just in the last few weeks. Yes. Because everyone this all season talked about Amari Cooper getting a new deal, Dak Prescott getting a new deal, and obviously Ezekiel Elliott. Meanwhile, they have paid Jalen Smith, they have paid Lyle Collins, mm-hmm. and now Ezekiel Elliott. I wonder how these dynamics of Dak and Amari getting paid or not getting paid probably this season, how that will handle itself because, you know, a lot of money is being dished out. And I think the salary cap is kind of a mirage when we think about it, unless you just handle it so poorly. We've seen teams that are right up against it, create it 
with just a lot of different ways. The Eagles are an example. And I think the Cowboys are getting smarter with how they spend their money as well. Absolutely. They haven't done that whole rollover contract thing they used to do um, and just stack debt on the back end since the Romo era, which Mm -hmm. I know that the Romo era wasn't too long ago, but still they have improved mightily since that time. So I think it's going to work itself out. And as you said, Cap, a mirage, especially when you're talking about who is usually listed atop the Forbes most richest franchises list. It's not, that part is not an issue at all. It will be interesting, and we'll get to Jared Goff's contract in a little bit, what Dak Prescott gets in his. I think it might actually benefit him to not sign it now and wait just a little bit to play under Kellen Moore because Kellen Moore is going to be the best play caller he's ever had in his NFL career. Who is up next? We knew Goff was up next. It's Dak. Who who is up next? Is that Dak really the next one? Because Wentz, Goff, then Dak, and they were all in the same draft. I can't believe. So, Dak, the moment I saw Goff's extension, I didn't even think about 134, 110 million guaranteed. Uh I thought about Dak. Because okay. it literally so reset Dak, the market. He couldn't have expected that either. He really couldn't have expected that. Uh, again, it was important for Zeke to be the highest paid running back because he said, I'm the best. This ties him through the Dallas Cowboys, at least contract-wise, which yes. it may not actually happen that way, but through the 2026 season. Because confusingly, since he has two years left on his deal and held out, then he can only receive, I believe, a... 30% raise in year one, okay. which is why then the years roll over and then it'll be a year-to-year basis basically starting in 2021. All right. That's nerd talk. Uh, okay. But we did, and we talked about yesterday on the podcast with Ian Harditz mm-hmm. in terms of all 16-game previews that Jane Slater reported that the Cowboys expect Dak, or excuse me, expect Zeke to have around 20 to 25 reps. We Hopefully that means touches, but it probably means snaps on the field, but we expect one, a larger workload than that yes. in week one. Skeptical of that report. But even more importantly, a 70 to 80%, maybe even more than that workload moving forward after week one. The way I see it is... Don't let your Tony Pollard love stand in the way here. I do love Tony Pollard. So here's the thing. But there is actual like viable reason to get Tony Pollard involved in this offense. Because there is. Zeke last year, I think it was 95 targets he totaled. But he had never received more than 40 targets before last year. So last year, you can actually consider an anomaly, not a consistent Hmm. moving forward, which then means Tony Pollard, 40, 50 targets, go to him. So that's why I am high on Tony Pollard, because I think he takes away from Zeke. In just his three seasons in the NFL, and this is just rushing, 322 carries for Zeke in 15 games. As a rookie in 2016, 242 in 10 games in 2017. And last year, 304 carries in 15 games most notably he added so much in the passing game i mean previous reception totals were 22 and 36 last year in 2018 77 receptions Mm -hmm. and we think he's going to keep that as well i actually think the raw touchdown totals will rise because he only scored six rushing touchdowns last season like I said, I'm actually concerned he doesn't keep the catches. I, I, I think they go at least 65% to Tony Pollard. Um, and I know that's a hot statement right now because everyone yes. just thinks he's not <laughs> going to be involved at all. But they drafted him for a reason. So Let's hit a few more topics. Uh, another running back, Melvin Gordon, has also been holding out. Um, we know that the Chargers told him to go seek a trade. And I think at the beginning that that was a negotiation tactic, being like, hey, we're not going to pay you what we want to what you want to be paid. So go find someone that can. You're not going to find anyone who can. So, right. and now the Chargers have basically said, we're not even going to negotiate with you anymore. You either play for us under the contract that you have, 
or you don't play the season. Although I thoroughly enjoy Howie Roseman being that fantasy owner that just like picks at you by sending a bad trade, just shipping them Gordon Howard or uh, uh, Jordan Howard and a mid-round pick for Melvin Gordon. Like, come on. It wasn't even just a mid-round pick. It was a swap <laughs> it's, of picks. It's quite enjoyable. It's, I love it. Whenever Howie, and Howie Roseman obviously just acquired Jordan Howard this offseason, mm-hmm. but it is when he sees he can improve just a little bit. I mean, they were in the clowny trade possibly as well. When he sees just a little bit of an improvement possibly in his roster, he'll attack it and send you that awful offer. Absolutely. Do, Which is what more GMs should do. So a lot of people drafted Melvin Gordon. I did not at all. Um, I did. Where did where do you when do you think he's going to enter the league? Is it week ten when he has to to pick up an accrued season? That is the deadline date we're looking at and eyeing closely because, as you said, he that this year rolls over into his free agency years if he doesn't report by week ten. The thing is, the Chargers don't hit by until week 12. So if I had to guess, I would say eight weeks. Wow. Which means, like, if you drafted Gordon as I had been yelling, actually. Uh, to do? The, yeah, and around preseason Dangle. week two. Around preseason <laughs> week two, I thought he was coming. I genuinely thought he was coming back. What's interesting is a lot of people, and you get your phone hit up a lot during draft season, mm-hmm. right? Like every single morning you wake up to a new phone number that you don't even know who it is. Uh, for me, it was a lot of people asking if I should draft Melvin Gordon in round four. No, 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 no. To me, the earliest was like round six, round seven, but someone else was going to take him um, ahead in round four. I I mean, he's truly going to sit down until week 10. Well, the He's whole, going to. Yes, but the whole reason I had Melvin Gordon ranked that high as well because I also had Austin Eckler a tear up above the rest of the industry. Yeah. Like, okay, you can pad yourself by grabbing Eckler at the same time. Uh, and now we're going to see Eckler. They say it's going to be a split down the middle with Justin Jackson, but I, I doubt it. I Eckler st- looked good in preseason. He always awesome looks good. Always, I think it's more of a, a 65-35 situation we're looking at. And be sure to look at Rotopat's rankings and really everyone's rankings on the site to see where he has Austin Eckler listed. And we'll ask him when he comes and on we'll, about it. Maybe we will. Okay, let's go to Laramie Tunsil. Laramie Tunsil has now been traded to the Houston Texans. We talked about this again in the podcast yesterday with Ian. Uh, They acquired him, the Texans did, and Kenny Stills, and a fourth-round pick from the Dolphins in exchange for two first-round picks and a second-round pick along with a special teamer and possibly the starting left tackle of the Miami Dolphins this year and Julian Davenport. My question to you, Daigle, is this. It's important that the Texans added this piece. It has been an issue since they traded away Dorraine Brown to the Seahawks, who they also dealt Jaday Van Clowney to. But there's no new deal in place with Laramie Tunzel right now. And that's a major, major question. Like, he has all the leverage in the world. We mm-hmm. talked Melvin Gordon has no leverage in his holdout. Laramie Tunzel has all the leverage because you gave up future assets, yet you haven't paid him his big next contract. He can ask for top left tackle money in the NFL. Which is why, honestly, he should hold out. He's not going to, but... <laughs> If you, uh, if you want, I mean, would you have that much leverage if you want to really do business and talk business? Oh like he gosh. should just hold out right now. However, he's not going to, obviously. Um, and he should demand as much money as possible. Hopefully he gets that much. Otherwise, like, wouldn't he just walk, honestly? You smile a lot, Daigle. You have a little bit of, like, a devil in you. Like, well, you have, like, a just, contrarian. Just business is all it is. I mean, but, but you do fight for that dollar. I fight for the players. I always fight for the players. Okay. I will say that. Um, what do you think this does, finally having the best left tackle on the team since Dwayne Brown, what do you think this does to Deshaun Watson's outlook? Because we've talked about this offseason. There's a chance he ends as the quarterback one. Yes. This makes it even more likely along with the addition of Kenny Stills as well. Props to friend of the show, Evan Silva, who had him ranked as the QB1 all offseason. 
whereas I've had him as QB2 and Mahomes QB1. But the addition of Tunzel, plus the injury to Lamar Miller, which then inserts a pass-catching back. Like, there's no doubt in my mind Duke Johnson can be an every-down guy, especially as a runner, but his strength is still pass-catching. So all of that combined only propels the Texans' passing offense. And uh, it's going to be a show, because week one they open in the Superdome, and although their defense is a disaster, honestly, and the Saints will probably walk all over them, like the offense in general is going to be so much fun to watch and be so much better this year major major questions to me about that Texans defense but I'm crossing my fingers that Will Fuller stays healthy yes because that along with DeAndre Hopkins along with Kenny Stills along with Kiki Cutie along with Duke Johnson with Deshaun Watson who brings pressure on himself but is a playmaker mentality to his game it's exciting the difference now is if QT or Fuller go down though we have Kenny Stills who is an efficient runner both on the outside and into the slot so they have pieces to move around this year we are going to talk about Duke Johnson a little bit with Roto Pat but let's close out this news segment with that Jared Goff extension four years 134 million dollar contract extension that includes an NFL record 110 million dollar guarantee we talked about earlier this week I actually think People have forgotten how good the Rams are. And I understand it from this perspective. We just look at it from that. Because they played so poorly in the Super Bowl. I mean, this is a high-scoring team with a very efficient offense. Yet their quarterback and even some of their other players weren't able to take that next step and carry the team when it was necessary Mm -hmm. when the Patriots had everything shut down appropriately. I am concerned this week especially, in week one against the Panthers, not only because Jared Goff's horrendous road splits, but because the interior of that line, left guard, center, right guard, mm-hmm. 18 combined starts over the last past de- half decade. Uh, it's going to be concerning, especially giving Gerald McCoy and Brian Burns and everyone else Carolina added in their front seven. So this week is going to be confusing if the Rams sputter. And telling. It yes. could be very telling. Yes, but also like on the road in Carolina is a tough matchup, especially if Cam Newton's at return to full health right now. Uh, so I'm not sure we can take away much, but the thing about Jared Goff's extension is it's only the first of a stepping stone. It's going to get more and more higher as we continue. Yeah. Like we said, Dak is next. Meanwhile, Cam Newton is like the 10th or 15th highest paid quarterback in the NFL, like one of the biggest values right now among the position. What also stands out to me has been Sean McVay's comments all offseason because he knows like immediately after the Super Bowl, it seemed like he had a lot of regret. Because this is someone that played about 90 plus, 95% of the time Mm -hmm. in 11 personnel. They did what they did and tried to make you stop it. The Patriots stopped it. And I think he has spent the last few months trying to take and evolve his offense. We don't know what that's going to be. Because Cooper Cup is very good in the slot. Maybe it's getting Gerald Everett more involved. Maybe it's having two backs like Daryl Henderson in the field at the same time. We will learn a lot about the next step of Sean McVay and his play calling, I think, in week one against Carolina. And they ran 11 personnel at the highest rate. I think it was 97%. Of course, there was deception and different plays involved with that 11 personnel, but it was one straight personnel. And so, especially since they just extended Tyler Higbee to a four-year contract extension this morning, yes, I would think that we would see more two tight end sets. But as you said, what does that entail? Is it uh, Daryl Henderson on this field at the same time with Todd Gurley? So that should be interesting to watch for sure. Nick Menzio now joins us for his start and sits column, The Notable Ones, and it's up on Thursday nights. Nick, let's start off with Matt Breida. He's one of your favorite plays this week. Yeah, I love Breida. I mean, obviously, I'm not trying to pick out the most obvious guys here in this column. So, Breida, 
borderline RB2, RB3 in this spot. But I think he has upside here to make a top 25 finish against the Bucks here in this game. Everyone's going to be stacking 49.5 point total. Um, not really sure who's going to get the quote-unquote start here for the Niners between Tevin Coleman and Brita, but the Niners' backs averaged over 26 touches per game last year, so if, if Brita can get 12 to 14 in this spot um, against a Bucks defense that lost Jason Pierre-Paul to a neck injury, beat the Bay, a nose tackle to a knee injury, cut Gerald McCoy in the offseason, the Niners return all five offensive line starters, um, one of the better run-blocking run units in the league last year. And then when these two teams met last week, 12, uh, Matt Brita got 17 touches, played 48% of the snaps and totaled 140 yards. No touchdowns or anything like that, but if he can find the end zone in this spot, I think he can obviously crush his ADP and crush his uh, ranking spot this week um, in, a, in a game everyone's going to be talking about fantasy-wise. And that's what I've talked with you about earlier this week, Nick, is the fact that this game, that Vegas just got the total wrong. Like, it opened at 49.5, and, and it's since increased a point and a half, but it's still just wrong. Like, it should be 55. It's going to close over the highest total of the week and finish as the actual total on the slate, the oh. highest. So, like, any piece you can have, especially when you can get basically a 1B back in a starting offense like this, um, is a terrific start. He doesn't need to play 60 to 70% of the snaps to produce fancy numbers in this spot. He may not out touch Tevin Coleman, but I would actually bet on him out carrying Tevin Coleman, whether he's actually on the field for the first play or not. This is kind of the last week I will cite preseason stats, but it was notable to me that Tevin Coleman played around 62% of the first team snaps in the Mm -hmm. preseason with Matt Breed at 38%. But Nick, as you alluded to, there's going to be multiple games where both backs are viable starting candidates because we know how good the 49ers backfield was as a whole last year. Uh, Nick, let's now move on to Dede Westbrook, obviously the wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, Jaguars are three and a half point dogs at home. I know you've been touting up D.D. Westbrook despite my reservations all offseason. Um, what do you think about D.D. this week? Yeah, 51.5 point total here for Chiefs Jag, second highest of the week one. Um, the Chiefs were 31st in opponent plays per game last year. Um, they allowed a ton of catches to wideouts. Um, the Jaguars, when these teams met last week five, ran 83 offensive plays. That was their most of the season last season. So, I expect a ton of volume here for the Jaguars. I don't know if they're going to put up a bunch of points, but volume equals fantasy points. So if Foles can fire off 30-plus attempts, and then we saw in the third preseason game where he, he threw 10 passes and seven of those went to D.D. Westbrook and produced a four, four catches for 29 yards and a touchdown and a little over a quarter work that night. Um, I think he's just going to get peppered with targets here, going against Kendall Fuller, the, the chief slot corner um, among among qualified slot corners at Pro Football Focus last year, Fuller allowed the most catches, the most yards, and a 110.5 passer rating in his coverage. So I love Westbrook as a, as a guy that um, outproduces ADP in opening week. Um, wide receiver three, lock him in, fantasy laps this week. That's how we targeted slot receivers in those playoff DFS slates as well because Kendall Fuller in general, the past two months to close out the year for the Chiefs, allowed 29 of 34 targets his way to be caught. Um, and the last time I'll mention preseason stats, Nick Foles obviously targeted D.D. Westbrook on seven of his ten pass attempts this preseason. So, Westbrook actually led the league in routes run from the slot in 2019 with 493. Nick, if I dug into this a little bit more, I might have liked D.D. Maybe you should have talked and tried to do this. Uh, I yelled at you at one podcast, <laughs> yes. I told you, like, you're missing out on D.D. Yeah. Nick, those are a few of your favorite plays this week and a few sits um, that are notable 
Starting off with Christian Kirk, wide receiver with the Arizona Cardinals. Obviously, we know that the Cardinals offense might look quite different. They are home dogs to the Detroit Lions by about two and a half points right now. Yeah, we talked about preseason, but going back again to the preseason here, the Cardinals were just super vanilla, didn't show their hand much with new coach Cliff Kingsbury's offense in the preseason. We expect them to run a bunch of four wide, but they were rotating. They kept seven receivers on their 53-man roster. They were rotating all these receivers with the first-team group during the preseason. Uh, that, that led to Christian Kirk playing around 50% of the snaps um, with the first-team offense. I just don't know what to expect with this offense. I don't know who's going to play. I mean, I expect I expect Kirk to be in there, obviously, more than 50% of the time. But going against the Lions team that was number one in opponent plays per game last year, they played at the fourth uh, slowest offensive pace. So I just I don't know if the Cardinals are going to be able to sustain drives against this defense. I mean, the, the Lions defense, they added Trey Flowers up front, Mike Daniels up front as well to go with Damon Harrison, Deshaun Hand. Uh, this, this defensive line could dominate this this Cardinals offense line, which is one of the two or three worst on paper. So if I have better wide receiver threes on my on my roster that mm-hmm. I can choose from, I'm, I'm just not going to run Kirk out there in the first week when I just don't know what to expect, you know. Another addition they had besides that front seven, um, significant players on their front seven would be Justin Coleman, who was a shutdown slot corner for the Seahawks. And yep. now he would likely be on Christian Kirk because although Christian Kirk's preseason usage was very strange with Kyler Murray on the field, uh, the fact is he still ran 83% of his routes from the slot. So he would likely mm-hmm. be matched up against Coleman. So although I do actually like the Cardinals' offense, yes, as you said it best, if you have another fringe WR3, Week one is probably the spot to start him over Kirk. Nick, how much of the Cardinals' performance this week will leave you optimistic, pessimistic for the rest of the season? Because, again, they talk so much of how vanilla that offense was that I think a lot of us are in wait-and-see mode this week and maybe overreacting too much either direction of what happens in week one against the Lions. Yeah, I'm really not too worried about this offense putting out fantasy stats, but the offensive line is a major concern. I expect – I don't – just being able to sustain drives is the major key here. I mean, yeah. we, we can see teams run super fast, but if they're off the field in 14 seconds of game clock, three and out, I mean, that, that doesn't help anyone. Let's close this segment with David and Joku. Um, the Browns, so much optimism. Five and a half point home favorites against the Tennessee Titans this week. Nick, I fell victim to David and Joku last season. Uh, he was even drafted as a tight end nine, so in a shallow position possibly. A lot of people are banking on starting him here in week one. You have some reservations though. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're talking about tight ends, one of those the super shallowest position on, in fantasy, so I mean, I understand if you are if you have to play him, I mean, you have to play him, but 4.6 targets per game after Freddie Kitchens took over at play calling duties last year. That was after averaging 6.2 targets under Hugh Jackson. Um, the, the Titans were one of the best teams at covering tight ends with all pro safety Kevin Byard. Um, the Titans play super slow. They limit amount of plays for the opposing offense, and now Odell Beckham's in the picture to just take the biggest piece of the pie targets, targets-wise. So this just feels like a touchdown or bust spot for Njoku. I mean, I obviously understand running him out there for that touchdown potential, but I'm not expecting a ton of volume here in this spot at all. His target rate actually went down once Freddie Kitchens took over as well, as you yeah. said. So it's, yeah, it's it's not really... I mean, you shouldn't have drafted David Njoku anyway, so if you did, it's... I I agree. I don't know what to say. And actually, the Titans have been really, really good against tight ends over the last three seasons. Nick, thanks so much, man. Everyone out there, again, you can check out Nick's column Thursday nights. Start sits. Really goes off the wall in terms of some very interesting names that you might not be thinking about. Bold.
bold is the right word, not off the wall. Bold is <laughs> oh. the right word. <laughs> Nick, thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Now it's time for Patrick Darty to join the show. Rotopat with his rankings segment. They are up right now for all of you to help with your start-sit conundrums, your lineup conundrums. Pat, let's start off with Matt Ryan. You have him as the quarterback 19 on the road against the Minnesota Vikings. The reason I wanted to bring this one up, Pat, is he was drafted as the quarterback six. So having him as the quarterback 19, you're basically destroying the hope that anyone out there has who drafted him in their leagues. <laughs> Just for week one, uh, I'm confident Matt Ryan will probably finish the season. Oh, I was about to say, I said probably after I said I was confident. Matt Ryan <laughs> should finish the season uh, as a top eight quarterback. But, uh, you know, some, there's a lot of complex. We have so many great advanced stats now. Uh, you know, next generation stats, such great match information. But the argument for Matt Ryan is pretty simple. He's on the road against one of the best pass defenses in the NFL. The Vikings allowed a league low 15 passing touchdowns last year. Football Outsiders graded them as a top four pass defense. Uh, see very little reason to expect a regression from the Vikings pass defense this year. And Matt Ryan is just a great player in a bad spot. Unfortunately, it happens to be in week one, you know, when you're kind of like unveiling all your shiny new toys for your fantasy team but it's just not a good matchup yeah and although it's indoors the true question mark is how many plays does this new run only vikings offense attempt to suck away from opposing offenses huh. so now also with the falcons wanting to establish the run quote unquote and get Devonta <laughs> freeman involved early then yes uh it's probably looking at just a down week for Matt Ryan. Pat, I'm yeah, assuming this means... Excellent point from John, too. The game could hit the under easily. Pat, I'm assuming this means you're also down on Julio Jones this week as well. Well, uh, not... So, you know, someone's got to get it. I think it will be Julio. Okay. Uh, he has a tough history with Xavier Rhodes, mm -hmm. but uh, I faded Julio to the mid-range of the wide receiver one rankings. I wanted to have him in the top three or four. That just wasn't realistic, but... Julio someone even with, I think it's only two career, I think kind of let downs against Xavier Rhodes, but you do have to fade him a bit, but Julio's just one of those guys, uh, his past sample sizes matter until they don't. And you have to consider Julio a fantasy bomb liable to go off any week. I still have him in the top eight. Yeah, Matt Ryan against the Mike Zimmer led Minnesota Vikings quarterback 14, quarterback 29, and quarterback 30 with four total touchdown passes and four interceptions in those starts. And uh, Julio Jones against Xavier Rhodes the last two starts. Not so good. Six catches. There we go. Not good. Uh, not not good, good is official. Okay, Pat, let's go <laughs> to the next name. That is Texans running back, still weird to say, Duke Johnson. You have him as running back 21 at the New Orleans Saints as seven point dogs. I mean, a super high total of 53 and a half. Pat, the reason I want to ask this question is I really just want to hear your thought process of ranking him as a secure running back too, because he closed out, Duke Johnson did, around running back 32, obviously after Deontay Foreman was cut and he was, you know, named the starting running back. We just don't know what Duke Johnson's role or identity is on the Houston Texans. Yeah, we don't know. And he's at the part of the board where you just don't know with a lot of the people. He's at the questions part of the running back board. You know, is Derrick Henry healthy after the weird summer? And, you know, he's on the road. Will game script favor Derrick Henry? We don't know what to expect from David Montgomery or Josh Jacobs. We've never seen them play a down of regular season NFL football. Uh, we don't know what to expect from Marlon Mack. Will he not have uh, the game flow that he – the positive game flow that he built his fantasy season on last year? And, you know, Damian Williams is an said We don't know. So it's the part of the board where we don't – don't know 
I love Duke Johnson, uh, and it's just, this is just about firing up a big play threat, a pass-catching threat, in a game that's the premier fantasy game of the week. And even if they're seven-point underdogs, uh, you know, it's the kind of game script we hope will favor a pass-catching back like Duke Johnson. So Carlos Hyde could vulture goal, goal line carries, uh, but I just think I, Duke is projected for a safe workload in the premier fantasy game of the week, and I like his questions, quote-unquote, more than the guys behind him. That's where I have him where I do. And he just has so many outs, as you said. Like He can get involved and will be involved in the passing game, especially in an up-tempo matchup where too many people just think about the Saints offense at home, whereas the opposing offense always benefits as well historically. So Duke Johnson is just a, a smash play. And like Mark Ingram is really the only newcomer questionable running back in a new offense that I would rank over him. Otherwise, it's just, yeah, you, you throw him ahead of those rookies and other players. Yeah, you're, Mark Ingram is the only newcomer running back I have ranked ahead of Duke nice. Johnson. I actually didn't again, see that, so yeah. <laughs> in total agreement. So basically the optimism that both of you guys have means that Carlos Hyde's going to have 21 touches this week is, is what we're getting out of this. That's I'm, a joke. I'm thinking 18 to 20. I'm thinking 18 to 20, Josh. <laughs> All right, uh, let's, you know, the bright lights, Monday Night Football. Let's uh, go next to uh, Kenny Galladay, the lead wide receiver for the Detroit Lions. Pat, you have him as wide receiver 18 this week. Uh, on the road, but favorites against the Arizona Cardinals. Patty, close out in drafts around wide receiver 21. The reason I wanted to bring this name up is because you and I were texting earlier this week because we're actually real-life friends. And you know that I have been down on Kenny Galladay this entire draft process. So it stood out to me, Pat, that you have him ranked higher than where his ADP was. Josh, you just you got to let it go. I can't. You, you've got to let it <laughs> Maybe go. Maybe after this week. <laughs> I don't know what Kenny Galladay has done to the Norris family. Wow. Uh, I pray it wasn't that bad, uh, but you have to let it go. Uh, yeah, no, we've debated Kenny Galladay and good nature uh, all summer. It's a very interesting debate. Uh, I understand your negative points, but you know, this, this, just zeroing in on this week, you know, first off, Kenny Galladay, by the way, was the wide receiver 21 by raw points last year and the wide receiver 24 by average points. So the perception of his 2018 can sometimes be a little skewed, in my opinion, but you know, the running Lions, if there's ever a week they were going to have to throw, if the Cardinals are who we think they are, this will be one of the weeks where the Lions have to throw. Uh, who, who are the Cardinals? Do you even know who the Cardinals are starting at cornerback? Are they starting Tremaine Brock in a Probably. second rounder? Byron yes. Mur- I mean, so the, the Cardinals secondary, uh, far from imposing, a game that has sneaky shootout potential. And uh, this has almost no bearing on it, but people worry about Danny Amendola and what should be a run-first offense. Uh, another pass catcher to kind of – you know, cut up the target share, but uh, Kenny Galladay actually had played his best, had his best fantasy week last year where Golden Tate was still on the Lions and they were still three deep at receiver. So it's not like that's an insurmountable object in his way either. So to me, it's just more about still liking Kenny Galladay's talent. And this, this game, to me, having a, a, a lot of sneaky shootout appeal this week. My only concern about ranking Galladay so high this week is not the offense, and that's the only time I'm going to say that about the Lions offense, is the fact that he had... 10 targets at the end of the year per game without Marvin Jones, and he averaged six targets with Marvin Jones in the field. And Marvin Jones actually outproduced him when they were on the field together. Marvin Jones has a better rapport with Matthew Stafford when they're on the field together. That is my only concern about Galladay ranking as a fringe top 20 receiver. This week, to me, this could end up being Galladay's high watermark for the foreseeable future. So I I agree, actually, with most of your point. This week, though, I just think it's a good spot. And for all I know, we could actually be agreeing because it could just mean Marvin Jones is a sleeper, whereas Kenny Galladay is still a fringe top 20 receiver. 
Well, I know we're seeing. I'm seeing the well, the correct buzz that Marvin Jones is the better DFS play this week because he will certainly be low owned and much lower owned than Kenny Galladay. But for season long, uh, yeah, Kenny Galladay is the play. And Marvin Jones, I would qualify as a flex, if not close to a wide receiver three. Let's close out this segment again, looking at Pat's rankings, which are up on Roto World right now with Jarvis Landry, the Browns wide receiver. Uh, you have him, Pat, as wide receiver 36 at home. Heavy favorites, five and a half against the Tennessee Titans. Pat, again, I'm referring to ADP because that's still relevant here. He closed as wide receiver 30. So you're basically telling people who drafted him earlier than I would have, but to consider sitting him possibly at wide receiver 36 because that's a fringe wide receiver three territory. Well, since we first had our talk this week, I've exploded him up the ranks to wide receiver 34. Oh, okay. Skyrocket. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah. Your, so your argument's just really in tatters there. Uh, no, uh, Jarvis Landry, the name of his fantasy game is volume. And you know, after the Browns' offense really took off last year following their bye, I think the final six games of the season, he only averaged four catches per game. Uh, he did average 62 yards per game. But it's kind of He had two 100-yard blow-ups in his other four games was really playing like a complimentary player. And to me, if that happens with Jarvis Landry, where he's just fighting for targets with Brashad Perriman and Antonio Callaway, and what's going to happen to him with Odell Beckham and you know, still an ascendant David Njoku and Rashad Higgins, who Baker Mayfield seems to have an excellent rapport with. And you know, this week he probably has the toughest assignment, too, of any of the Browns pass catchers and Logan Ryan, the Titan slot corner. And uh, this Jarvis, it's kind of a brave new world for Jarvis Landry. He's in an offense that doesn't funnel him the ball with a quarterback who doesn't really lock on to any specific target. That was one of the, the most remarkable things about Baker Mayfield's rookie season, the way he spread the ball around. Uh, it's rare for any quarterback, but especially for a rookie quarterback. And Jarvis Landry's a great player. I wouldn't be stunned if he reestablished himself as an every week kind of top 30, top 32 guy. But yeah, to me, there's early season skepticism is warranted, and especially when he's a tough matchup like Logan Ryan. Yeah, just looking at Jarvis Landry's season outlook, I look back and just ask the question, when was the last time Jarvis Landry did not lead his, lead, lead his team in targets? And it was all the way back in his rookie season, actually with Mike I thought you were say like second grade. Right. Like, uh... but, but even since then, I mean, it's been a gap of like 50, 40 targets per year. So to me, just what is the value? What is the identity of, that Jarvis Landry is going to have when he just, like Pat mentioned, isn't funneled targets each and every week? Because it would be shocking stunning if Odell Beckham does not lead this team in targets. Last year... Baker Mayfield, I, colon, challenge accepted. There we go. Uh, Last year, I consider an anomaly for Landry just because he had never been used as a primary slot receiver, actually tallying air yards down the field as a deep target. Um, and he performed well with that, but now he moves back into the slot, which actually allows Rashad Higgins to potentially start over him and two wide receiver sets, especially given his rapport with Baker Mayfield, as you talked about. So yes, like the, the ancillary piece or why I am concerned about Jarvis Landry more so than the matchup or anything else. Pat, thanks so yeah, much, he's buddy. A, he's a quarterback that doesn't need a security blanket, too. Baker Mayfield's good enough where he's not like some bad Dolphins quarterback or Terod Taylor where he needs a security blanket to lock on to. Which is so, why yeah. I'm slightly concerned about Beckham in season long as well, but that's an argument for another day. To a long story short, we are concerned about Jarvis Landry. <laughs> Pat, thanks so much, buddy. And by the way, I mentioned Landry's wide receiver 36. Pat has him at wide receiver 34. That just points to Pat constantly updating these rankings. They will be updated all the way up until kickoff uh, on Sunday morning. And by the way, Pat will also be in studio with us on Sunday morning. You all should be as well. It's the Roto World Live show, NBC Sports YouTube page from noon to one. 
I'm just trying to help you set your optimal lineups each and every week. Tons of start set questions, all the notable news, all the notable plays and fades and all that good stuff. Pat, thanks so much. You can check out his rankings. Check out Nick Minzio's start set column as well. So for John Daigle, for Josh Norris, we'll talk to you all soon. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and tell one friend. Talk to you all soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.